A little secret from a guy who's writing his 10th biography. A book release, the highly anticipated moment when years of labor and toil and sweat and highs and lows come to fruition, isn't generally the utopia we all hope for. It comes with tons of pressure and fear and doubt. You worry about everything. Yeah, will the book sell? But also, will anyone care? Will the response be hostile? Why be sued? It reminds me of my bar mitzvah, actually, which was held in 1985 at the Mount Kisco Holiday Inn. I'd done all those months of Torah study with Jody Cohen and Jenna Seidel and Jackie Zisplat. And when the event arrived, then left, I was sort of underwhelmed. A book release can feel the same, but here's the redeeming part. Much of the joy actually comes later. You're sitting at home, thinking about nothing, when you pick up a copy of that book you wrote years earlier. You blow the dust off the cover, you look through it, and instead of any lingering feelings of dread, you're enveloped with pride. Because you know this thing, this baby, only exists because you decided to pursue a dream. You became an author. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm the New York Times bestselling author of nine books and the host of Two Writers, Sling and Yang, the podcast where one writer, me, talks writing with another writer every single week. Today's guest is Mirren Fader, my longtime friend, staff writer at The Ringer, and the author of a fantastic new biography that drops today, Giannis, The Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP. And this was recorded live last week at Coffee Coffee, a Los Angeles cafe. This is episode number 220. Let's sing some yay. Dad, your podcast sucks. You're losing your hair. All right, Mirren. We are back. You are We're you back. and John. You and John Wertheim and my wife and myself are the only uh, two-time singing uh, appearance holders. That's very exciting for you, is it not? I'm really excited and in real life. So am I the first two-timer in real life? In person? Yeah. No, That'd John Wertheim. Happy. I did one in LA, one in uh, New York. So no, sorry. Okay. Yeah, sorry. Okay. So um, and actually the all right. So the la- the last time I had you on this podcast, we were at a coffee shop. In L.A. at night, I right. think. Insomnia. 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 Does that still exist? You know, it has new owners. Completely different place. Are you not so happy? More mean person. Well, no, remember there was a mean person? Yeah, very there? mean. <laughs> she was so mean. Yeah, it's fine now. All right, so before we get into anything, I mean, we're, we're sitting in front of a coffee shop that's been open a couple of weeks on Melrose in L.A. It's called Coffee Coffee. Coffee. Not the name I would have picked. That's okay. <laughs> Doesn't really stand out. Really original. I guess we know what they serve. Um... <laughs> I just spent like 15 bucks on a salad. I mean, you know. <laughs> That's the most L.A. thing you've done I know. in a while. So, um, you and I are both coffee shop writers. Yes. Very much so. And um, how did the pandemic impact your coffee shop writing and your routine? And do you feel comfortable now writing inside coffee shops? Yeah, it was really hard because I not only did my work there, but it was how I met people. I met so many friends at my different coffee shops. And the first time I had to write in my apartment, I was like, how am I going to do this? But then, you know, I had a full time job and I'm writing this book and I had to figure it out. So I had to like make a writing space, which is so weird for me. Um, What does that mean? What do you do? Like I I had to carve out a section of like my dining room table. Like, okay, I'm going to write here. I'm going to face this window you know I don't want to be in my bedroom because I don't want to face the wall you know so it was just so weird but now being back in coffee shops is also weird because some of them are like super strict on masks and some aren't and some people abide by them and some don't and it's just it's so weird but it does feel nice at least to be back at least outside like we're doing 
Are you um, are you comfortable working inside a coffee shop with a mask on while writing? Can you do that? And is that okay? Yes, and that's what I've been doing. It's it's not the same. You know, it's really hard to keep like sip cover up, sip cover up. It's annoying, but it obviously like I'm worried about Delta. <laughs> right, right. Um, so. All right, so a few things I'm interested in before we get to your book. The last time I saw, so all right, to give readers, uh, listeners, excuse me, some background. I met you about six and a half years ago, almost seven years ago, probably. Right. At the time, you were at the OC Register. <laughs> you were covering preps, mainly preps. You you reached out to me via Twitter DM. <laughs> showed up at a Starbucks near my home in Orange County with a notepad and we're taking notes. You probably called me Mr. Perlman at first. All the all the stuff, right? Am I wrong? Oh, you're right. You're right. I did. I also brought a study guide of Showtime. I, I, oh, yeah. I wrote lists of things I wanted to ask you. And that was the first time I realized you were psychotic. And then... <laughs> and now you know I'm now really I know. psychotic. My views have been verified. And, um, you know, like since then, you went to BR Mag. You wrote there for a long time. Right. Now you work for The Ringer. Right. You have your first book out. I'm going to say sincerely... It's been a, it has been a joy to see, and like, um, and I feel like actually our relationship has has morphed because you used to fucking call me your mentor all the time, which I hate <laughs> with every part of my body, and you drop these millennial bullshit on me, and like, finally I think you're just like, all right, we're just friends, we're just we're writer, we're friends, and we've known each other now a good amount of time, and we're just peers and friends in the business. That can, can we can I bank on that at this point, please? Yes, you told me to stop calling you the M word, which is mentor, and now I stick with best pals. We're, we're really we're, good pals. Right, and I'm happy about that. And, I, <laughs> and I've loved your your career. Like I've loved your career. It's made me. It's given me a lot of joy because I feel like you uh, you bust your ass and you bring it really hard and you report the hell out of stories. And it's really, this is what's interesting. Before we get to your book again. Okay. Like when we first talked, and you were already this way, so I don't, I don't think I deserve the credit you probably give me. Like, you really believed in the virtues of reporting, yeah. of making a lot of calls, of digging and digging and digging and digging. And I feel like if you came along when I came along, it wouldn't have been, it would not have been as noteworthy. Yeah. Because like, I came along to a staff at Sports Illustrated of 40 writers who were all that way, right? That was what you did, you know? And if you went to ESPN the magazine, they were all that way, because that's what you did. It just seems like nowadays, but correct me if I'm wrong, it's almost rare where writers dig and dig and dig. And because people always say about you, whoa, she called, it looks like she interviewed 20 people. <laughs> And it's like 20 people. Is that, that's what you're supposed to do. I don't know. Is it? Do you feel like people have different expectations now? Yeah. They've never heard of make the extra call or call a million people. Every time somebody says that, I, I just chuckle to myself because I'm like, I thought that's just what you did. Like, I'm not special. I'm not super talented. I'm just a grinder. And that's what you taught me. Like, always make the extra call. And um, But nowadays, because there's so few long-term jobs, it's seen as, like, doing something crazy by calling 20. I'm like, 20's kind of low. 30 is more like it for a standard feature. And for a book, you know, my 221 compared to, like, your, what, 500, 600. We had a little competition, but we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> oh, actually, we are going to talk about it. I will admit for the first time, we'll get back to this. When you were started working on Giannis, the improbable rise of an NBA MVP, um, you were like, I'm going to interview more people than you. I'm going to so interview more. determined. You were very cocky about it. And you were, you were like, I'm going to interview more people than you. And I was like, fuck no, you aren't. And let's just get the final total, Mirren, because I'm right. done reporting. How many did you interview for this book? Okay, 221. Yeah, 728. Okay, but your guy was older. 
Mine's 26. That's true, but you were talking shit about it. So I'm saying, like, I'm <laughs> no, not... No, I wasn't talking shit. I was manifesting. I, I, I set the goal. I was competitive. I was like, I'm going to beat Jeff. Like, I'm going to beat Jeff. I thought it was actually... It was funny, because for a while, you were ahead of me. I was. You were. You had, I like, believe... I going to do it. I thought I was going to beat you. <laughs> it was like... And it was kind of like... Uh, you were at like 150 and I was like 20 and you were at 170 and I was like 30 and then I just got to say I just went you came out of nowhere like what is this last second sprint I was like a sick I was like all right I was like the um you love sports metaphor you know how I love my sports metaphors go for it I was like the old boxer and they were like this guy can't go 15 rounds this guy can't go 15 rounds I'm getting my ass kicked for 12 and then I come out for the 13th and I just you're tired and inexperienced and I just so not the point though um you have a book. This whole thing fascinates me. Okay, so I'm going to tell you the truth. This is something I never told you. Oh my god! When you first pitched Giannis as an idea for a book, I thought, eh, I don't know. And here's why. Maybe I said some of this. He's very young. Yeah. Like he's just kind of starting his career. I know he's won two MVPs right. and he just won the finals, but he's still starting his career. Right. And my general thing with books is I don't love the idea for myself at least writing about people who are super young because what am I going to learn about you, right? Right. And I thought this book, I don't know, and. I think you proved me wrong. Well, I just think like his backstory is ridiculously fascinating. So, in a, I'm going to ask you a lame podcast question, <laughs> which I don't like doing, but like, what made you actually think a biography of Giannis was worthwhile pursuing? I feel like with Giannis, you know, when I did the story on him and his youngest brother Alex, which the story came out, this book came out of, you know, we knew like nothing about this guy. He hadn't even won his first MVP, but it was so clear he was becoming that superstar. And I just thought like, how do we know nothing about him? And then I think of his childhood and I'm like, you could write a book on just the childhood. Like that ended up being a struggle for me. I'm like, I can't get to Milwaukee on page 300. So I just thought like, I have no shortage of material. You know, for me, it's like that there's just so much human, let alone basketball. I mean, the basketball side is super fascinating, don't get me wrong, but there was so much unexplored elements about race and identity and, and geography. And I just thought it would be really interesting to profile somebody from Athens. So you never wrote a book before, and you have this idea. How did you actually get the book deal? Yeah, I um, I was talking to a couple literary agents, um, as you know, before this, and it just never quite worked. Either my idea was like a good idea, but it wasn't a sellable idea. What was an idea you had that didn't happen? Like the story, remember the Japanese basketball story I was obsessed with forever? Yeah. And it was a really compelling story, but it was about a group of Japanese women basketball players, and publishers were like, who's buying this? You know, or like a Lisa Leslie type person, again, who's buying this? Or, you know, that great idea that you had about the heat, but it's like I was also inexperienced. So it was a combination of me being inexperienced and also like not having that money idea that's both a great human compelling story and then sellable. Um, and also a lot of literary agents I talked to were just like, I like you, but you're kind of young or like, I think you're on the rise, but like keep, keep plugging away as in kind of like wait your turn a little bit. But then I got introduced to one literary agent who's my agent now and he's amazing. And he was like, you're not going to do a name drop. Anthony Matero, All right. best in the business. Yeah, hey. And he, I love him. And he was just like Mirren, like, I think you have multiple books in you. And he worked with Kate Fagan before, who I know you just had on the pod. And I was like, oh my God, I love Kate. This guy really gets me because he gets the people that I want to be like. And um, he was like, just let me know if you have any ideas. So I gave him a couple that didn't quite work. But then when Giannis came out, you know, the story, um, I was like, what do you think? And he's like, this is it. So uh, it took me a 
couple months to do the proposal because I was like traveling and stuff pretty often back then. And then I did it in December 2019. And then we shopped it around early 2020, January, February, and I signed the deal. How many bids did you have for the book? Um, it was three, and then it ended up being between two. So that was a completely yeah. <laughs> new experience. Did I you was... pick Hatchet? Why did you pick Hatchet? Well, they offered more money. Good reason. And they, and they, and they offered more money. And they offered more money. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't turn down... It, was, it wasn't just a little bit. It was a lot more than the other offer. And I just... They understood me, and they understood the project, and... It's like, I gotta do it, you know? And they offer more money. <laughs> they offer more. Is it true? Is it true? I heard a rumor that you got 1.8 million to write this book. It's <laughs> not true. Fake news. <laughs> not true at all. All right, so, um, again, I know you very well, and you get this book deal, and uh, you tend to be kind of a nervous, neurotic person. Oh, thanks, Jeff. Do you disagree? Thanks. Do you no. disagree with anything I just said? I don't, but I also am confident when I do my job. Sure. Wait, let me just say for the record, I am just nervous. I am nervous and neurotic too. I know, We're it's Jews. My first yeah, so like, yeah. I'm just saying, like, that's not an insult to say you're nervous and neurotic, but you did get the book deal and you did seem a little like, oh fuck, now I have a book deal. <laughs> like, now I actually have to, like, now I have to write this book. And what I found really interesting is, like, so much of your book takes place in Greece. Yeah. Which obviously you planned on going to. Right. Um,. How did that impact, like, was there a point where you're like, I'm just not going to be able to go to Greece and I'm fucked? Yeah, I mean, first, I was just nervous. It was my first book. I wanted to do a great job. This is on a global superstar. You know, I felt, of course, pressure and, you know, I was embarking on a new journey. I remember just sitting there for two days like, okay, I'm going to start. And I would just like sit at my desk and I'd be like, what do I do? You know, it's, I think you said this best, writing a book and long form, the difference is it's like same language, different dialect. So I had an inkling obviously of what to do, but it was so new that I wasn't quite sure. Like it's so overwhelming, you know, a person's life. Where do you start? Um, I had plans to go to Greece. Um, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, like I didn't know that it would be what it would be. So I kind of kept holding out hope. You know, at first I thought, oh, lockdown's going to be like a month. I'll go in like late summer. And then it, I just realized like midway through, I was like, I'm not going to Greece. And so again, it's it's like making do with what you have and making the extra call. And like I hired a researcher on the ground in Sepolia per your suggestion. And this guy was awesome. And he would like send me videos and pictures and help with things. And I interviewed so many Greek journalists, I became friends with them, and just asking a trillion questions, you know, because I really wanted the book to like smell like Sepolia, feel like Sepolia without me being there, which is a huge challenge, but that's what we've been doing this whole pandemic, you know, I've had a full-time job this whole time having to do all my features over Zoom, which is completely different than what my life used to be like, so I just kind of made do. So how is the book, it's hypothetical, like how is this book different if you spent a month in Greece? I just think there would be more color, more texture, um, more like present day where it's clear that I'm the omniscient narrator, but I'm in the church. And I tried to recreate that as if I was, but it would be different if I was literally in the church and I could give you that a little more fleck of detail. Um, and just, I would have been able to go knock on doors like you do, you know? For me, it was word of mouth. Can you connect me with this person? Can you connect me with this person? Versus like, if I'm on the ground, I'm just going up 
to whoever and saying, hey, can I talk to you? You know, when I went to Lithuania, it was a lot of that. It was just going into every store, going up to random strangers and saying like, hey, can I talk to you? And so I was actually really looking forward to doing that, you know? Um, so it was a real bummer that <laughs> I didn't get to go. Do you feel like, um, do you feel like that present, like, are there parts of this book where you're like, man, I wish blank, or I wish blank, because, but because of COVID, blank? Yeah, I mean, all of it, the access for all of it. Like, I wish that, I wish that the NBA season resumed and I could have gone to more locker rooms. I wish that, you know, I got to go to, the, the irony is I went to Milwaukee actually right before the world shut down because as you know, I was just like, oh my God, I need to get started even though I didn't sign the book deal yeah. and I got the brothers again. So, but I wish I had more of that, you know, but COVID actually really just put this into perspective. You know, you mentioned like freaking out about the book and the expectations. Then you kind of go through this life altering experience where people are dying like you always say, Miran, like who cares the planet's melting? And I kind of really felt that way. Like, okay, I'm going to do my best, but like also I'm just happy to be alive. So COVID in a way kind of like gave me new perspective about this stuff. Like, yes, it was stressful. Yes, I was working like 14 hour days, but I was also like, you know what? Can't control this. Life is crazy. I'm just thankful that I'm not sick. I feel like my greatest gift to you is is cranky old manisms. Like so true. It is so true. Every time I freak out, you're just like, Mirren, the planet's melting. Mirren, I don't know. Who gives a fuck? Who's gonna read it? And like, I'm gonna read it. Lots of people are gonna read it. Jeff, this is a problem. You're like, actually, it's not. Go chill. And I'm like, I can't chill. Yeah, that's us. Wait, this is what I like. I'm being serious. <laughs> Every neuroses you've had about this book, I've had in my life. Every single one. There's not, there's not one original thought you've given me neurotic-wise about your book. And it's really funny because <laughs> I actually get it. And sometimes I, I'm almost too hard on you, but I, I get it. I've written, I wrote a book on Roger Clemens where the Yankees threatened to sue me. Right. I wrote a book on Walter Payton where his, uh, his uh, mistress was furious with me. Right. I've written books where I wish, the Clemens book, two weeks before that thing was coming out, I was like, can this just not come out? Can we just not have this book? Like, I get everything. So, I am interested, like, it, I mean, it kind of sucks, right? Like, <laughs> you write a book, it comes out, yours is coming out in a couple of days, it's coming out the day this of this release, August yeah. 10th, right? Yeah. I can't tell if you are able to enjoy <laughs> your book coming out, I really can't tell if you're able to enjoy it. Yes, I am just not yet because it's not out. There's so much nerves and anxiety. What are you nervous about? Oh my gosh, so many things. Give me everything you're nervous about. Oh my God, no. Go. But no. Um, <laughs> podcast after dark after. Um, yeah, no, I think like you worked so hard on this one thing and douchiest car driving by ever, I'm just saying. You know a dude is driving Yeah, of course. Of course, yeah. Um, you spend so much time with this thing, like, at, by the time it's finished, you don't even know, like, is it good? Is it? Is it bad? Is it, what will people think? It's, it's just a level of exposure that I haven't had before. It's vulnerable. Um, a lot of people don't talk about that, especially with, like, first books. They're like, oh, yeah, it's great. Everything's going great. And it's like, actually, it's scary and vulnerable putting yourself out there like that, especially, like, 
as a young woman, like, it, I don't know, like, it's, I've just never been through anything like this. And I always get nervous the day before my stories come out. So this is like that intensified because it's 120,000 words, you know? So it's, of course, I feel happy and excited and all those things as well. But it's also like life is happening really fast and it just feels overwhelming and I'm trying to just stay in the moment but it is yeah there is anxiety that comes with it for sure you're gonna hate me asking this question but I'm only asking because it's in my head every time I write a book yeah is part of the nervousness did I get something wrong I mean of course that's the number one fear of any writer um and it's not like did I spell the names right it's like did I did I understand this person's story did I tell it accurately I tell it well so that's always going to be there whether it's a book or a, um, a story but you you like religiously fact check on your own you know reporting with confirming with multiple sources and hiring a fact checker so that was new you know I don't know if people know in books you have to hire your own fact checker yeah. um there's just, yeah, it's a lot. I think people, because I've been so lucky in my career to get a full-time long-form job that everyone thinks that everything is amazing all the time, and I am so, so lucky, but that doesn't mean that it's also not anxiety-provoking at times or difficult at times. But are you able to be happy about it? Yes, I am happy. It's just that it's not out yet. I think when it's out, and I know it's, you know... These cars hate me. When I know it's going to be okay, you know it's out and it's out in the world, I think I will be happy. But it's kind of hard to celebrate prematurely before it's out, you know? I don't know if that's just my personality, but I'm just not one. I, I don't know. I'm not explaining it correctly. I get such a deep joy from the process, like you, which is why I think we bond so hard, is that we could call someone for four hours and get one nugget and feel immense satisfaction. It's gotta be a very good nugget for four hours though. Okay, for sure. Yeah. Um, and usually it's not, but yeah, sometimes right, right. it's, you know, that one detail and it's like, that's what gave me so much joy during the pandemic. Like this book like really got me through. Like I just felt happy when I would get a gem or something that I didn't know about him. So for me, I think the joy is more like in the doing. This, all this other stuff, like, I'm not used to this. I'm not used to people interviewing me. I'm not used to like going on TV. I'm not, it's, it's just a whole new level of visibility that I'm trying to adapt to. And I'm so fortunate. So I don't want to make it sound like I'm complaining or unhappy. It's more just like, it's new and I'm trying to get used to it. <laughs> it's know? really, no, I totally, it's all really interesting, right? Like, um, it's one of those things where it's like, uh, you should be happy. You should be happy. You have a book out. You should be happy. Right. You should blah, blah, blah. And like, life is weird if you think about it, because working on a book is really hard. Yeah. Working on a book is really hard. Right now I'm writing a book, I'm fucking miserable 60% of the time, right? Then you're done with the book, then you're waiting for it to get edited. Well, editing fucking sucks, <laughs> I hate getting edited, that's really hard. Yeah. Then you're waiting for it to come out and you're paranoid about everything in the book, and that's really hard. Then the book's about to come out and you check your Amazon ranking religiously, although I don't think you have. No, I don't. And that's really hard. Yeah. And you do these interviews at four in the morning and you do 70 of them in a two day span right. and no one wants to hear you complain about it, but that's really hard. And it's almost like what you say about like, I don't mean to go into the long rant here, but what you say about like, I think I'll be happy when it comes out yeah. reminds me of a lot of athletes where they're like, no, I think I'll be happy when, but we're almost like flawed creatures and we're always looking for the next. It's always like, no, I'll be happy then. I'll be happy then. I'll be happy right. then. And maybe just life is miserable. 
<laughs> oh my god, no. Okay, I think it's more like this. I think it's more just like being happy. It's more about having joy. And I have a lot of joy. And I really love what I do. Like, I feel so lucky, Jeff. You know I've wanted this for so long. And I feel tremendously, like, happy about that. But when you're like us and you have high expectations for yourself and your life and what you want you're always striving so for me I'm already like well what's book number two and my mom's like can you take a vacation you need a vacation your mom is right yeah my mom is right listen to your mom which is like life fact number one but it's like yeah like I need a vacation I haven't had a vacation in years I've been working so hard so I think after this hopefully I can just take a little bit of time to just step back and appreciate it like we're looking at my book this is just crazy right and it's like i came to you six years ago like i want to write a book i want to do what you do and i i need to be in the moment more and appreciate the fact that this thing is here but wait let's just say it this way six years ago you were a preps writer for a failing newspaper in Southern California that was cutting back people. It felt like every other month. Yeah. And we're sitting here in LA, you're drinking your overpriced coffee, and and you have a freaking book that's great and well-reported and smart and blah, blah, blah. And it sucks that we are unable, like we can say these words. Yeah. I just think appreciating things is really hard. No, it's just really hard. It's really hard, but when when you're saying this and I'm looking at us in this moment and like, it's awesome, you know? Like, I lost my job at the register in 2017. You You were laid off? Yeah. Okay. Like, 2017, you know, I never, this, it seems like it happened really quick, but you know, when I was driving 50 miles every day to Orange County to cover a four-year-old baseball game, of course I would never think like, oh yeah, five, six years later, I would have a book on Giannis. Like, of course I would never First think of all, that's that. four years ago. Yeah, I can't count. Wait, time out. <laughs> I like being a little derivative here. It's 2017. You get laid off by the OC. <laughs> You're laid off from your newspaper job. Remember I called you and I... I don't. Tell me. I called you and I was crying and you didn't pick up and then you sent me a, like a long message after. You're like, it's just the beginning. It's going to be the best thing for you. And? And you were like, so right. There you go. But wait. But at the time I thought life was over. Did you? I was going to ask. So you're you're at the you're at the register. You're covering preps. Yeah. They call you and tell you we're laying you off. Is that what happened? Well, they put us all into a room and they were like, a lot of you are going to be gone. And so, but That's I was. It's like a reality show. No, it's it was so ridiculous. Okay. And yeah, I just got a call and, and the guy was like, um, I don't know what he said. Because, you know, it was kind of traumatic. Like, I don't remember, but it was just kind of like, yeah, like, there's nothing we can do. Like, your job's being eliminated. So I was like, okay. But I just remember feeling so lost. I mean, even... How much were you making at that point at the OC <laughs> register? Was it ridiculous? 30000 All right. I just want to say for the record, like... It's almost like it's, it could be a great revenge story, except like they were hemorrhaging money and like had to lay people off. Well, well here's the, okay, like I don't know if it's bad that I'm sharing this story, but you can determine okay. if you want to edit it out later. Okay. But um, yeah, like when I was in my fourth year there, um, my editor called me into his office and he's like, I just want to like talk about stuff. Like, where do you see yourself in five years? And I was like, I want to be a national magazine writer and I want to be an author. I want to write my first book. And he laughs at me. He actually laughed at you. He laughed at me. Like, no joke. And he just said, like, we have a lot of guys that are better than you. Like, whatever. 
And so I was just crying my eyes out. And I had to go to Cal State Fullerton to do like a stupid women's tennis story. And I was like, fuck, like nobody's going to read this story except for my mom. And like the heat laughed at me saying I'm not going to be an author. But literally in five years, I I did. I literally, you need to send that guy a sign I need book. to send him a book. I know. He's like... It's probably so miserable. Why do you think he said that to you? Serious question. Why do you think he said that to you? I don't know. The register was like a really patriarchal place. You know, I was the only like woman sports writer. And I think he just thought like the audacity to say that at age 25 or something. Right. Um, you know, the register at that time, they were barely keeping the lights on. So somebody's like really excited and I want to be a journalist. Everyone's miserable. They're like mad that you're excited about the work. And so I think he just resented that. And But it really did motivate me. After I was upset, I was just like, no, I'm going to do it. And it seemed like really impossible once I lost my job. But yeah, looking back now, I'm just like, wait, I did it. Actually, I do remember um, talking to you at the time and being like, but tell me if I'm wrong. I kind of have this memory of being like, you kind of have to understand where these people are coming from. Like, they're miserable, their careers are ruining, and the newspaper's dying. Exactly. You know? I was mad at you because I was like, no, but they're mean. And you were like, you got to understand, they have a mortgage. Like, the best thing going for you is that you're young and cheap. And, like, do you remember? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we were both right. Like, that yeah. guy did not have to be an asshole. And yeah. at the same time, he probably did have a mortgage, two kids, and saw his work crumbling around him. Exactly. Yeah. Looking back, though, Jeff, like, that experience was so fundamental for me. At the time, I couldn't see it because I was like, wow, why is this person, you know, they're covering the Angels. Like, I'm so lame covering this, like, 12-year-old Little League game. But now I look back and I'm like, God, those four years were amazing for me. So critical. There was no pressure to succeed. Like, I could make mistakes. I got over my nerves in interviewing people. I became more confident. I, I literally learned how to report and write because I had to do it every day for four years. And it was a real turning point because so many people that I started with are not in journalism anymore. Like, yeah. for whatever reason, they're not in the field. And so it, I really could have quit. But in fact, it made me love it more and want it more. So I'm really thankful for that. But at the time, yeah, I, I'm sure I just complained to you. Like, oh, my God, this sucks. I'm never going to move up. I'm never going to get out of here. Um, but now I'm like, that was the best preparation I could have had. It's funny because, like, we've all done this. I would say every sports writer in America who has ever covered preps has been like, I need to get the fuck off of preps. <laughs> and then you look back X years later and you're like, you know what, preps was really fun and innocent and kind of cool. It was really fun and the pride that the parents had when they were talking to you, like they wanted to talk to right. you. Now the athletes don't want to talk to you. They're like, why are you being here? Parents were just like, please come over and they would have food for you. And it would be like a whole, it was like the best thing to happen to them that week was talking to a register reporter. And carrying my badge around just felt so cool, you know? And even though I wasn't covering, like, the Lakers, the Clippers, or anything like that, that I, a lot of my peers were, I was just like, I fucking love writing. I was like, I love reporting. I don't care that you've never heard of this guy from San Juan Capistrano. Like, I love this. And I think I just, like, really fell in love with it. I really did. You've now cursed twice in this podcast. Oh, man, I'm off to a bad start. Yeah, very bad. Very bad. Um, usually the ratio is 100 to 0. Um... <laughs> All right, so that's, this is a good segue. Okay. You, uh, preps, easy access, great, blah, blah, yeah, blah. Yeah. You decide to write a book on Giannis. <laughs> the Milwaukee Bucks, not amazingly cooperative with this project. Uh, I do feel like professional sports increasingly 
seem to have less and less interest in making life easy uh, for journalists. Now, in the old days, truly in the old days, it would have been, I'm doing a book on Giannis, and they would say, oh, all right, it's Mirren, blah, 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 Ringer, yeah. Bleacher Board, when do you want to come? Right. Um, what has changed, and how did that impact your existence? Yeah, I worded that carefully, just that for you. Great. Thank you. Um, have you done this before? Once or twice. <laughs> Um, basically, team PRs, I think, are beholden to the agents of whatever player it is. So they don't, I mean, not all of them. Some of them are really good. Some of the team PRs are really good. But a lot of them, like, don't much, have much power. And whatever the agents say, they go with. And um, it was really challenging because Giannis was in the middle of his decision-making process, if he was going to stay or go. So the Bucks are not going to, like, give access through them because they're afraid of something coming out that might be defamatory about their star player that they want to keep. And they didn't know if he was going to stay. Do you think if he had been signed to a six-year deal, they would have been like, yeah, come on out, no big deal? I think it would have been easier, but I but I also don't think they were going to help anyway. I think they just decided, like, we don't want to. And, um, to, and they also told people not to talk to me. Which is... Which is ridiculous. That is unbelievable. Wait, that, I just want to say... E- yeah. No, go ahead. What were you going to say? Yeah, they sent an email saying, do not talk to Mirren Fader. Meanwhile, as you know, the book is a love letter to this organization, and I ended up talking to a lot of Buck staffers through my own, but it's like, what if I couldn't get it on my own? I'd be fucked, you know? Wait, the media relations department sent out an email saying, don't talk to Mirren Fader. Yeah, yeah. That is, that's fucking insane. Like, that's like, take your job, do a 180, and do that job. Like, you're actually, your job is media relations, not stop media relations. Like, that's insane. So how did that impact you? Yeah, I mean, at first I was really just like, whoa, what am I going to do? You know, it was nerve-wracking because you need help. Like, you don't, like, projects like this take a year or two because it involves so many people helping and so many sources. And so... Yeah, it was just like, what am I to do? But then it's still due. And as you know, my publisher had me on a 20,000 a word a month deadline. Which is interesting, yeah. (laughs) And I was so overwhelmed. And, you know, we're in a pandemic. I'm dealing with life stuff, isolation. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm going to do this. I don't care if these people don't help me. I remember you complimenting me for handling that well. Because, you know, like five years ago, I would have been like total freak out. I don't know if you would have. But you definitely handled it well. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you. the reason you told me, look, if 10 people turn you down, 10 are going to say yes. Right. If 20 people turn you down, 20 are going to say yes. It's on you to just find the um, the person, you know, and that's what I did. I feel like my general philosophy when someone's like, I'm locking you out, yeah. I'm like, bring it. Like, bring it. Oh just go. Let's go. Okay. You want to do that? Let's go. I know. That's that's me in a bag. And I was like, okay, you don't want to help? Well, I'm still going to talk to staffers without you. Like, I don't need your help. Well, I, I thought I did, but it's just like, if you don't think my intentions are pure and you don't realize that I'm just literally writing a innocent book about a very beloved person and you don't want to help me, whatever, I can't control that. But I have to work my hardest because I still have a deadline and I still have to deliver. And so I was just like, I'm going to figure it out one way or another. I think one thing that really helped that you told me was you were like, in a book, you're in like, everybody's a character. So you want to, and you do this in your books a lot. You like zoom into somebody and then zoom back out, zoom in, zoom out. So for me, I was like, okay, I'm going to deal with this situation by finding the most compelling character 
characters beyond Giannis, whether it's his first coach or his second coach or this teammate, and really just tell their stories. And, and that really helped. Interesting. Yeah. Did you have people who said, you call them and they're like, yeah, the Bucks said I can't talk to you? Yeah, and I was like, well, we already had the interview, and you said it was on the record. You gave me permission. Oh, you had people say that to you after you interviewed them? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Because, like, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Were they pissed? I don't. I, I'm sure, but, again, like, it was a really fair of interview that only spoke highly of Giannis and whoever, and it's like... You're an adult person. You can make a decision to talk to me or not. It's not my responsibility what your employer tells you. All I can do is control myself, and that's not my issue. I just want to say for people who don't know, um, if you interview someone and then they call you back like a week later and say, yeah, I I decided I want to do the interview, um, it's one thing if it's whatever, a mother who just lost her son to cancer. It's it's case by case. Right. This is low-hanging. Right. It's a basketball This is a scout that, you know, this is not that. Right. So you have to make the choice individually. But this was a very clear situation where it was like, this is not a big deal. This is not my fault. Sorry. Were you worried at all? So Giannis, the guy could not be more lovable. He couldn't be more endearing. The video of him on Instagram going to uh, Chick-fil-A the day after the NBA Finals, I just wanted to freaking hug the guy. Like, are you at all concerned, worried, as you're reporting the book, oh, crap, he's screwing a hooker, oh, crap, he blank, oh, crap, blank, or is that in your head at all or no? You know, it really wasn't because all 221 people could not find something negative to say about him. So that presented its own challenge. Like, are you sure? Nobody's a saint, you know? Like, are you sure? And is this going to be a compelling thing if the guy did everything right? But I think there's just so much conflict in his life from his upbringing to his identity to his current struggles that it's okay that he's incredibly likable and beloved. It kind of fits in the narrative of, like, person overcoming challenge, which is, like, the classic story for a protagonist, you know, of a book. Um... But yeah, I, I just, and especially spending time with him and the family, I just kind of got that genuine vibe. But again, you we always say, we don't know these people. So so somebody can be nice and all this. We don't know. But all you can do is talk to as many people as you can and try to put together the best portrait of a person. And I really feel like I talked to every single human I could. And it, he's really genuine. Before we continue with Two Riders Slinging Yang, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Jeff Perlin. I'm here with my son Emmett, who starts school next week. Is that going to be weird? Definitely. We all have to wear masks, so how are any of the hot chicas going to recognize me? I have an idea how all the hot chicas are going to recognize you. First, we hit up royalretros.com right now. We order some sweet duds. Then you walk into homeroom, push aside the big man on campus, and instead of normal clothing, you wear a green, white, and silver Washington Federal's Joe Gilliam number 10 jersey. And all the hot chicas say... Damn, bruh. That is a hot, fleeky, skippity-doo Olivia Rodrigo. Have you been watching TikTok on my phone again? Uh, maybe. It's one of the great flaws of a biography, is that, um, it it is a biography, but you can't be inside someone's head. So for all you know, Giannis is at the line thinking like, yo, check her out in Bro 3, which would be totally fine anyway, but like, we just don't know. So, I don't know. I don't know if there's a something you can do about that or we can do about that but it is a flawed medium to a certain degree it's a flawed medium and therefore there's limitations and therefore you can't be responsible for everything a 
person does. Like, I've had stories come out where the person then commits some transgression after, and it's like, what the fuck? This is not who I thought this person was. But again, that's not your job. This is what, tell me if you think this is right. In a long form profile, your job is to give readers a sense of what somebody's like. That's how you should finish the story and have a sense of what they're like. You don't know them, you're never going to know them, but you're going to give them a sense of what it's like. So, a book is the same thing, but there's for sure going to be holes because a person might not be ready to share certain things, or maybe their memory is a tricky thing. Maybe they're looking back on it and they have a different view than what actually happened. So, it's going to be flawed no matter who the author is, no matter who the subject is, just because we remember events perhaps differently than they happen. Yeah, I mean, I literally, when you came here, I was writing, and I was writing about a moment from when Bo Jackson was in college, and he used to catch flies with his hand, and he caught six flies, and he opened his hand, finger by finger, and the flies flew out, and he told this story. He told it ten years after it happened, right? Are the the odds that he told it with the precision of 100% accuracy is almost zero. Right. So, we just do our best, I guess. Yeah, you know? you, what can you do? You have to do your best. The biggest flaw to me, and I've done it, you've probably done it too, but maybe you haven't, is when we say, in a prod, I did it certainly in features when I was at SI, you'll be like, uh, he stood at the free throw line and he thought to himself, I'm going to do this for his mom. We actually don't know what he thought to himself. We can, he can tell you I thought this, Yeah. but do you really know, like if I said to you, what was going through your mind when you saw me here? You might be like, oh, I think it's so great to see you. But in truth, you were thinking, God, that was a fucking lot of traffic. You just don't remember thinking that. Yeah, exactly. The way I report my memories to you is flawed. And perhaps the way you interpret my comments could be flawed. But that's a level that there's no answer to. You it's know? All, it's also interesting. Like, the other one I love is, like, you say to me, like, I'll have a coffee, right? You say yeah, to me, I'll have a coffee. Yeah. If I write it as... Uh, I'll have a coffee, Fear and said. Uh, Fader said. It's different than I'll have, she said, a coffee. Like, they're just a million little gymnastics of this fucking business. Yeah, and um, stretching out sentences changes meaning. Of course. And um, I like to do, you know, like how I like to repeat italics to yeah. show a thought recurring? I sure do. You do? <laughs> but that thought comes from directly from them. But you're right. Like, what if the thought was actually slightly different and they just told me this? I, I just can't be responsible. I actually have a little bit of perspective on this now, being interviewed and having my quotes be somewhat different in pieces than what I said or just being edited on podcasts. And I'm like... What are you trying to actually, say here? No, I'm just trying to say, like, I didn't end the sentence there. But they oh, sure. edit it, you know? So, again, like, I get it. There's choices that are made. But um, you just got to do your best. That is true. This is why, this is why Jeff, when we talk about how astronomical TV salaries are and things like this and talent and blah, 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 like, the minutia of what we're talking about. I know. The nitty-gritty, how fucking hard this job is and the thought that goes into it and these decisions that we make and the mental processes that we do to do our work... And then people just go on shouting on TV, saying their opinion. It's just, it's it's mind-boggling to me. No, they're like, all right, there are five things to take away from that. Or four, you know, four or five. Number one, like, when people are like, yeah, the book sucked. No, my favorite is this. 
I didn't read your book. Or, oh, I read half of it. And then blah, blah. Or my favorite is like, didn't learn anything new. Really? You didn't learn anything new? Like nothing? I didn't learn anything nothing? new. No, not one thing. And then I, I love how like, all right, like the whole Rachel Nichols thing, right? Forget the whole race and class and money and blah, blah. Like the egos behind that bullshit. Like you have a producer telling you what to say. You're sitting behind a desk. You're on the air for five minutes. I'm fucking spending 13 hours today digging into one college football game from Bo Jackson's life, watching it, and we're watching it, watching it, and like, you know. I know. Yeah. Um, All right, we got to talk timing. So. Okay. I'm not a witch. I didn't know. I think you did. So, (laughs) wait, this was actually one of the most amazing things ever, all right? (laughs) I don't. I did not care who won these NBA finals at all. Right. At all, zero percent right. interest. Right. Not a thing. Yeah. But I was rooting for the Bucks because you had this book coming out, right? And I didn't think they were going to reach the finals. You probably didn't think that. Did no. you think they were going to reach the finals? No. Of course not. Right. Nets were the prohibitive favorites. Sixers were probably. They would have won had they not had injuries. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So the and and. We don't know the answer to how does this book sell if the Bucks fade away in the second round of the playoffs. Like, we don't know. Yeah. But the Bucks go on this run, and Giannis is lighting up the finals. And I'm saying they mentioned, Mike Breen mentioned your name in one of the telecasts, and I was looking on Amazon for you, and Catherine, my really? wife, was looking on Amazon oh. for you, and it was like rising and rising and rising. It is the craziest, it is the best book timing I've ever seen in my life, ever, by far, ever, by far, that the Milwaukee Bucks, the Milwaukee Bucks win the NBA championships, Giannis goes crazy in the NBA championships, were you, were you watching, were you even watching every game, like, I don't know, like, I was living and dying by every game, yeah, I was like, never been so stirred by a basketball game since, like, a decade, and, um, when he got injured, I was like, oh, shit. You know, I was so worried. And then he comes back, and it's just, I'm just, like, screaming at the TV. I'm excited. I'm happy. I'm scared. I'm nervous. Like, on game day, I wake up. The Bucks are playing later. I mean, like, who am I, you know? Like, Your dad wearing a Bucks shirt? Oh, family wearing Bucks shirts. Everyone in my life is a Bucks fan because they're rooting for me. The funny thing is, you weren't rooting for Giannis. You were rooting for you <laughs> by rooting for Giannis. Technically, you were rooting for me. Okay, technically, I was rooting for me. <laughs> Yourself, no. who's going to? Yeah, true. Okay? True. Um, Me and my wife, apparently. We were in, and your parents. Yeah, and Catherine yeah. and my parents. Yeah. Squad. Yeah. Um, you know, there's been multiple moments of serendipity. Like, for example, when I set out to do the story on Giannis's youngest brother, Alex, it wasn't supposed to be on Giannis. I didn't even know he was going to be there. And I go to their house, and he's there. And I spend the day with them, and it catapults me to my first book. Total luck. Right. Didn't know he was going to be there. Didn't you call me and say he's about to resign? I gotta, I gotta put this out. Is that, is that true? It is not true. Yeah. And uh, false. And uh, so that was another thing that I was like, no, I didn't know. But it was just luck. It was just pure serendipity. And um, and then this, 
Because as you know, a big portion of the book talks about the history of the Bucks and the context of miserable seasons and decades of mediocrity and losing and the team almost leaving Milwaukee. It's like the whole context of Milwaukee in general. And then they do the unthinkable that the people in the book talk about may never happen. And then it happens... And I wake up the next day and they're like, you have 15 interviews. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm going on NPR. You know, it's just, it was such a whirlwind. I never expected it. So you did not think they were going to win the NBA championship? If we're being honest. No. 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 I thought the Nets were going to win. Yeah, I did too, I think. Yeah. Um, all right, so you're watching the game. You're watching the game six, right? It's game yeah. six. You're watching game six. Bucks win. Are you like... <laughs> freaking out like what is your I am screaming we're jumping around we're like elated as if we won we can't believe it but I had a BBC interview in like 10 minutes and I had to be like professional and focused and then I had a couple other interviews because these were international ones BBC is like Miran are you are you drunk yeah <laughs> yes which is funny because right. as you know I am team sober and um yeah and then I just thought okay that's cool we did a couple interviews it's not going to be anything crazy and then uh they won the whole thing that's when it really started but you you know you were telling me remember you were like you need to get out there more you need to promote more but then it was almost like the bucks being in the spotlight thrust me into the spotlight Mm -hmm. like unintentionally i think you've handled all really well I do. I was so I was uh, when the Bucks were in the playoffs. I was like, Miran, you got to live tweet games. You got to tweet during games. And you're like, yeah, man, man. This is Miran. I don't like Twitter. Man, 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 Twitter. Stupid. You read it though. You just don't like posting. I. Uh, Am I wrong? Yeah, I hate posting because I don't know what to say. I don't. I don't think like when something happens to me, I don't think. Let me go share it with the world. I just do my thing. I don't like that. I'm really. I don't have an Instagram. I don't. I don't like it. So, so the thought of like tweeting all my thoughts made me feel super uncomfortable. But I got out there as time went on. I feel like. Here's what you've done well. I'm being serious about this on really? Twitter. This is what you've done really well. Okay. The worst thing you can do when promoting a book is only tweet about your book 17 times a day. <laughs> yeah, you can't do it. It's so just, obnoxious. It's so obnoxious. So and also, nobody gives a shit after a while. I'm like, then they tune you out. You can't do it. I, and you haven't done that. So I you've haven't been done good. That. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as you know, my Twitter is just like, here's a thing I read, here's a writing quote. It's just like me nerding out. It's kind of like a diary to keep my articles that I read. Right. Um, this is Mirren. This is Mirren. Jeff, did you see what so and so tweeted? Did you comment on it? No. <laughs> Sometimes, sometimes people get on my nerves because <laughs> it's so boastful. We always talk about this. It's always like me, 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 me. Look at what I got. Look at my article. Look at I got access, and I don't really like. I don't fit in. I, I just I don't. It's not my style. The most I've ever disagreed with you is when you called writing a craft. Oh, I. I so disagree with you on that. But well, make your argument. Why is writing a why why not writing like Edgar Allan Poe? I'm talking about a Giannis biography or a Bo Jackson biography. Okay. Why is it a craft? Okay, Jeff, but you're not just a sports writer. You're a writer, correct? Sure. Yes. Like, you... That's your argument? No, I'm, I'm, I'm heating up. Oh, right, I'm heating ahead. up. Go okay. ahead. Um, heating up. It's going to be really cool after this. Just going to go down. By the way, I just want to say, over the years, you have dropped your sports metaphor significantly, and I appreciate that. And why is that? Because... Because it's annoying as fuck? No, because you called me out as fuck. Okay. Oh, go ahead. <laughs> um... Sentences, the structure, the choices we make, the decisions, all of these things are craft. Like, yes, there's some people that are just brilliant and that the words just flow. For a lot of us, it's not natural. It takes effort and work and there's strategies. It is a craft. And 
I don't think that's pretentious. I think it's pretentious to do the opposite, which is like, I just wrote a thing, whatever. I would rather take it seriously because I love it so much. I don't find that pretentious. That's just my passion. I just love it. You don't like when people write like, I just wrote the best Last night, I just wrote the best lead ever. I can't wait to send it out. I hate that, too. We're, we're not fans of that. We're not fans of that. I've never in my life written something where I'm like, wow, that was good. Never. Never. I've never. It's not that I hate what I write. I just, I don't think, like, was it this or that or people, you know, I'm more like, did I get it right? Did I did I do the story justice? Did I, did I check all my things? Did, I'm never, I would never say, wow, this is amazing, let alone tweet out to followers, like, I'm the most amazing. Like, I just don't never. understand that impulse. Like, I don't think that about myself. In fact, the more, the more good things that happen to me, the more I doubt them. Sure. So... When people are like, oh, don't get big-headed, I'm like, do you know me? That's impossible. <laughs> I always say, like, all right, the writers who I probably am closest with beside you in, in journalism are a lot of, like, veteran biographers. So, like, John Wertheim has been on this podcast, Howard Bryant, Jonathan Eig. Um, those, this, those three are, like, three of the least braggy people ever. In fact, I can't remember a time when any of the three of them, I've ever heard any of them brag. Right. And I just think, like... If you want to go sports cliche, you could say, like, you know, let your work do the talking for you. But I just think, like, even that's corny. Like, I just think, like... Just do you. Just do you. Just don't, do you. Don't, you don't have to brag about your work. You don't have to brag about your work. And, like, like we talked about, like, I just enjoy what I do. I don't really... It doesn't Except matter. Except when you don't enjoy it. Except when it's super hard and everything sucks and I'm, like, the worst writer ever. You know? Yeah. But I, I don't... Like, I don't... Somebody said to me recently, like, wow, like, so many followers. And I'm like, this yeah. is so embarrassing. Who cares? Like, for me, I'm just like, well, what's my second book? Or how'd my interview go today? Like, I just kind of, like, don't care about that stuff. That's why when you when you said you check my Amazon, it made me laugh. Because like, I'm not checking my Amazon. That is insane. That is actually insane. That is a violation <laughs> of book release code to not check your Amazon. We have a joke in our house. Refresh, 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 refresh. Oh, ranking, ranking. That's crazy. Well, what was your highest? You were, in, were you at 40 something or a little higher? Or I think I was at 40. At what? 40. It's oh, great. But the funniest, okay, so I had an association of women at a sports media conference last last week, Friday, I think. A bunch of assholes. Just yeah. kidding. I don't even know who they are. Go They're ahead. amazing. Yeah. Strike it from the record. Okay. Yeah. Wait, wasn't there, who was on that with you? Was it, it was Candace. Yeah, awesome. Nicole Yang, Pat's beat writer for the Gold. She's one of my best friends. And we were introducing ourselves, and, I, and Gina, um, myself, covers the sun. So it's like, okay, introduce yourself and, like, tell us what you do. And I was like, hi, everyone. <laughs> my name's Mirren. I write long-form features for The Ringer. And then I thought I was done. And Gina was like, you have a book coming out. And it, <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, I do. And I was like, yeah, it's called Giannis, the Improbable. She's like, you forgot to plug your book. And I was like, I don't know if that's because I'm in denial because of all of the things we've been talking about or if that's just, like, my personality. But, yeah, I forgot to, like, plug my book. I'm just going to say it, Mirren. World's worst self-promoter, Mirren <laughs> Fader, is here on the podcast today. She does not have a new book out. Don't buy it. She don't says, buy it. She's, <laughs> I heard she's overrated. She's always at coffee shops bumming for, you know, attention. Um, <laughs> let me ask you this. So... Uh, you're experiencing certainly right after the the Bucks won yeah. the whirlwind whirlwind which you want yeah. like you definitely want it there's no it's it's hard it's not fun blah 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 
you want people to notice you have a book out, and one of the ways to do that is the media world. And what is the most number of interviews, guesstimation, you did in a day? 20. And how was that? <laughs> I mean, it was really hard because it starts at 4 a.m. because we're on the West Coast. Um, I mean, first I should say, like, we're lucky, right? Very. People are calling us to, to come on. That's a privilege. I know I'm lucky. I know that there are writers that would kill to have these interviews, and so I would never complain ever, ever, ever. I understand my privilege. But, yeah, I'm a human being, and, like, I'm exhausted. I never recovered from, like, writing the book, then doing the audio book. I did my own audio book, and also I write features full-time at The Ringer, and then you have 15 interviews a day, and you're trying to, like, exercise and stuff going on in my personal life. And, you know, I just, I feel like life is moving so fast, and um, it's really hard, especially because I'm trying to be present in every interview and offer something new from a different Did you say fave? Fave. Yeah, okay, just check it. Okay, go ahead. Are you shocked? <laughs> no. <laughs> Hashtag no? Yeah, go ahead. Hashtag, do you like when I say perfy for perfect? No. <laughs> Continue. Everyone's going to hate me. <laughs> um, do you tell them about my emoji use? It's quite extensive. Yeah, it is. You and my mother. I'm like a 60-year-old woman. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it's, but it's cool. It's, it's non-sports people reaching out too, like NPR question what is the question you get the most and you're just like uh is it why do you write this book why do you write this book what's the most surprising thing you learned yeah first of all that means they didn't read the book which is totally fine yeah. that's the other thing i never i stopped getting annoyed that people didn't read the book no well mine's different because the book isn't out yeah. so oh you're yeah, right you know it's been like weird because it's kind of been on like this tour for like a month as you said, like you should be out there, you should be capitalizing. So throughout the entire playoffs, I've been on all these things, talking both about the current playoffs and the book. And so it was hard for people to actually read it. But we send it out for sure. I mean, all your advice about like send it to this person, send it like I definitely did. I mean, it helps. I mean, watching you go through this, it's funny. It's like it's like watching a. Well, no, I'm gonna come up with a horrible metaphor, so I'm not gonna go do ahead. it. It's like watching somebody go on this roller coaster and you see it's going really fast and you just kind of like watch them do this for a really long yeah, time. that's fair. And you can see it's exhilarating. You can see it's stressful. I've like observed all the things that you've gone through. I've been to all your book talks, but then when you're like in the roller coaster, <laughs> wow, it goes so much faster and it's so much more intense when you're the one in it. So, but I had this amazing preparation from you kissing up here. It sounds like you're kissing up a little bit. Yeah, I am. Um, I always think about um, when the Chicago Bears won the Super Bowl and Walter Payton was their star. They won the Super Bowl and this guy had been on really bad Bear teams for years and years, right? And they win the Super Bowl. Finally, they win the Super Bowl and Walter Payton goes into a room closet and cries because he's unhappy. Because it doesn't Number one, he didn't get to score a touchdown, but who cares? And number two, like, it's like you work so hard for these moments. And then you get to the moment, and there's a little bit of, oh. You know, like, oh. And I feel like you're having both, like, in a way. You're having both, right? You're like, you're like, am I happy? Am I not happy? But at the same time, you do seem to be overall 
do you have a book out? Tell me out. Of course. I, you know, as you know, like, I'm really happy with this side of my life. <laughs> Unhappy in others. But for sure, like, I feel a tremendous amount of pride. I'm just, I don't know, am I still, like, the person that thinks she's trying to move up from the Orange County Register? Yeah, that's part of it. Like, I'm not comfortable. I'm not like, oh, cool, I can just chill. I'm like, well, what's book number two? Jeff has done nine. Where's, what am I doing? You know, like, I don't, I'm not comfortable. But I do need to do a better job of, like, being in the moment and appreciating how awesome it is. I think I've just... Like I said, life is moving so fast that I just haven't had a moment to, like, stop. And, like, when I have a moment to stop, I want to sleep because I'm really tired. You, wait, do you, see, I don't like one thing you just said. Like, I don't think you should ever be, like, I really don't. Like, maybe there was a moment in my life where I was, like, wow, whoever, Wertheim or Howard, these guys, they have X-Books and I have X-Books. Like, I don't think it's a super healthy way to be, to be like, oh, Jeff Perlin wrote X-Books. I should write X-Books. No, I want to write a lot of books because I want to write a lot of books. But I'm just saying, like, I would love to Have a sustained career writing books. Exactly. Right. That's fair. Because I see, you know, like, different lives. But, yeah, you do stuff from coffee shops. I do stuff from coffee shops. I've always wanted to do what you do. So... My hope is that this is the first of many, if I'm lucky. Yeah, I'm sure it will be. Yeah. I do think it's interesting, though, because it's like, people who don't have this job don't want to hear this shit. Like, you know, man, you're so lucky you get to write books, right? And yes, factually, yes. But like, it's a lot of isolation. Yeah. It's a lot of loneliness. Yeah. It's a lot of self-doubt. It's a lot of rejection. It's... All right, so if I interview 700 people, that means I call 1,200 people. You know, like, it's a lot, a lot of unreturned phone calls. It's a lot of quiet time in an office by yourself, missing out on shit that you would rather be doing. It's sleep. It's a lot of sleeplessness. Um, It's hard. Like, it's hard. It's hard. That's why you have to have other writer friends, because, like, your normal friends don't understand, and they look at your life, and they say, wow, it's so amazing, and they're right. Like, it is. I'm super privileged and lucky, and I know that. So I never, like, talk about work struggles with my friends because they just don't get it. And they don't, and it sounds, like, insensitive because things are going so well. But just like the people we cover who, they're millionaires and they're successful, everyone thinks they should be so happy all the time. But it's like, of course they go through stuff. They're human beings and so do we. So I think that's another reason why we got, you know, as close as we are is because, like, you get it. You're not crazy, Marin. I felt this way, you know, versus like your normal friends might not understand. They're like, oh, I'm sure it's going to be fine. Don't worry. Like, it'll be great. Versus like, no, I have 5,000 worries. Like, they don't don't understand. When I was in Sports Illustrated, I had an editor named Michael Bevins, who was the most miserable sack of shit ever, right? (laughs) He was a great editor, but he was intimidating and scary. And he'd be like... Roman, what the flying fuck, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Every now and then I feel like I channel that on you, and then I'm like, oh, was I too hard on Mirren? So, you know, sometimes. I mean... And I'm sure there are moments where you're like, God, he's such a dick. But Sorry I, about that. But I've had moments where I was awful, and you forgave me, so... We're, we're good. We're even. We're good. We're, that's what I mean. We're like, you know, it's different. Like, I know you're saying something to me because you've been there and because you care, so I actually listen. Jeff. You do listen. You're a very good listener. I, and I, you and Luca Evans, all-star listeners. Have a little Luca. Huh? Shout out to Luca. <laughs> listen to the previous episode of Two Writers Slinging Yang. You know why I love Luca? He always follows up and is like the perfect example of how to be, how to reach 
reach out to a mentor without being too much. Yep. He's just like, hey, how are you? I would love your feedback. I know you're busy. He's also like a little deer. He's just like a little innocent deer making his way in this dark world, you know? See, now I feel old. Like, isn't this so weird? I like how you called him a good kid. You texted me and called him a good kid. I was like, Mirren, our Mirren has finally grown up. I'm telling you, like, it's so weird when kids want to meet with me. I have deja vu because that was me with you, like, six years ago. It's just the weirdest. All grown up. No, it's just so weird because I'm like, I'm still figuring it out. Like, I don't have all the answers. Yeah, but that's actually the, uh, the bullshit myth of it all is that people think, like... Just like I was like, oh, Jack McCallum, blah, blah, blah. And maybe you're like, oh, Jeff Perlman. And Luke is like, oh, Mir and Fader. And the truth of the matter is none of us really have the answers. And we're kind of faking our way through a lot of it and sounding more like, I don't know. You know, like, just try your best, right? Yeah. I don't know. Just try your best and work your ass off. And, and one day you two can be sitting in a 95-degree L.A. Know. coffee shop by a garbage truck. Or I, what is this humidity right now? Is I mean, climate change is going to come for us all. Let me throw a final thing at you. I have an idea for your next book. Being sincere. Really? Yes. You have to promise me you'll do it. Can you make that promise? No. Okay. <laughs> Brooke Lopez, my story. Are we in? Brooke Lopez. We're not in. Just We're rise from... You gotta come better than that. Do you have an idea? I'm not gonna ask you what it is, but do you have an idea for your next book? I do. I feel like I texted it to you. Did I? We'll have to talk about this after. After. Amirin, all right, I'm gonna say this. You cannot get schmaltzy, what I'm about to say, because you are, no. All right. This is me. I just want to say this is Mirren. Jeff, you're just the best. Jeff, thank Jeff, 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 Jeff. I know you are. No, I know you are. Uh, But, you know, I come from a non-schmaltzy background. Okay. And you're like, you know, Jeff, Jeff. And I'm like. I'm just expressive. I get it. Very expressive. And that's very nice, right? I feel like you're, this book coming out, book sitting in front of me. You wrote a very nice inscription to me. Like, your success and your rise has given me great pride. And even though I don't like thinking of myself as a mentor, blah, 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 I do feel like as an older journalist or younger journalist, like, uh, you've just really done it right. Like, you've gone about this the right way. you busted your ass. you worked really hard. Um, you're honest about it. You're sincere about it. And, um, you know, I'm very proud of you and what you've done. Oh, my God. Stop it. More embarrassing questions from here. Oh my god, I'm gonna like get emotional on stage. Okay. I'll try my hardest not to. Thank you, Mirren. Thanks, Jeff. I want to thank today's guest, Mirren Fader, for joining me on Two Riders Singing Inc. You can follow Mirren on Twitter at Mirren Fader and buy Giannis the Improbable Rise of an NBA MVP wherever books are sold. If you enjoy Two Riders Singing Yang, please consider going to your vehicle of your choice and leaving a nice review. I make no money for doing this. I depend on word now. Music is by the great MC White Owl. Thanks again for joining me. And remember, keep writing.